BBCC episode 58, my realization of the day. In 2018, it would have been a bit far-fetched that Christmas would distract people from an impending zombie outbreak, but here we are in December 2021, and oof, uh, I'm not so sure anymore. Some of these pre-pandemic movies hit a lot harder these days, but hey, we're here to get really stoned and be jolly, so let's go ahead and start the episode. Bah fucking humbug, you beautiful bastards. Hello, hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor here, aka underscore daddy disco on Twitter and Instagram. And this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. This is a horror movie podcast where we dive into our favorite subgenres and franchises within the genre. And this episode is the uh, Christmas installment of the um, Fucked Up Families theme for this month. And though the movie we're talking about today is not about a clan of killers or cannibals, um, the theme of family is very strong within the zombie musical Anna and the Apocalypse. But before we get into that, um, a announcement also before I bring in the guest for the episode is that this is the last um, regular episode of 2021. Um, this is also the last episode, well, like, technically this is the last episode of season one of Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. Um, in 2022, there will be a few changes to the podcast that I'm very excited about. Um, the, the show's kind of always been pretty loosey-goosey from episode to episode, um, whether it be how many films we're covering or um, how I do the scheduling between the subgenres and franchises. So I want to um, kind of make some changes in next year for season two to kind of bring some more consistency to the show. And um, I mean, it's not changing drastically or anything, um, but this is like the last episode of it just being me and a guest um, talking a movie. Um, we will kind of focus on doing spotlight episodes more um pretty much every episode after this um i mean and including this one today we'll only be talking one movie unless we are talking like a franchise with multiple entries in it and that in that case we will double or triple them up depending on the franchise so uh, from here on out it will be only focus on one movies um the double features will not go away permanently um, but they will be significantly lessened. And then the other key difference in next season is I will have a permanent co-host on the show. Um, it will no longer be just me. Um, like I said, it will either be me and my co-host or it'll be me, my co-host and a guest. Um, we will kind of alternate episodes back and forth. Um, so I'm super excited to uh, close out this um, first chapter of the podcast and excited for you guys to meet um, my co-host. Well, you've already met before. He was an episode um, not too long ago, actually, back in October. Mr. Garrett McDowell is a good friend of mine. He is a writer and um, YouTube uh, has his own YouTube channel. Um, super, super intelligent guy. Loves horror movies. 
and I think he'll be the perfect balance to um, kind of go with um, my laid back stoner vibes. And I'm really excited. I think without me hosting every single episode, um, like, you know, just like it being one on one with another guest, I think you guys will get to know me a little bit more as well through those episodes because then I won't have to just be in the driver's seat by myself every episode. So I am excited to get that going but yeah we are going to uh finish it off with a bang and um there still will be episodes next week but it will be our best of 2021 episodes um we'll do our top six rankings and then we will also give out the bloody awards for 2021 so uh, yeah so that's what is um coming up for the next couple of weeks and to close out 2021 of blade blunt cinema club but now that I got all of that out of the way, um, I do have a guest that is waiting patiently in the wings. So now I will go ahead and introduce them for you. She is a writer for many horror sites across the interwebs, namely Certified Forgotten, where you can find her column on uterus horror. Welcome to the show, Molly Henry. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm uh, so glad to have you on. Um, you know, we've just crossed paths many a times via Twitter, um, lots of mutuals in the horror circle and stuff. And um, I've always enjoyed our conversation. So and um, and you were fantastic on I believe I was listening. Did you guest on uh, Final Girls Feast? recently yes i did yes. yes that was the one i listened to and you were fantastic on that thank you yeah that was a fun episode we were talking about midsummer for that one that was yeah good. yeah that was <laughs> that was a really fun one um but yeah so i'm super excited to have you on and before we kind of get into some movie talk um tell the people about uterus horror what is how how did this become your your calling card and something that you were passionate about in the horror realms yeah, it's I, I actually love telling this story because the entire reason that I even started writing about this subgenre and kind of made up the name for it and everything was because of a I guess it was a meme on Twitter. Um, it was one that was really popular for a while where it was like the cartoon lunchroom and you had to pick which table you would sit at based oh on the yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it was one of those and the table that as soon as I saw it I was like fuck yes that's my table it was Carrie Ginger Snaps and Jennifer's body and at that moment it kind of clicked for me that I, I never really thought about them as being part of their own subgenre. but seeing them together I was like holy shit they really are they all have like the same themes running through it and everything and this, I mean some of them even have almost the exact same scenes mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, and then it kind of just went from there. I, I kind of, my definition has changed a bit over time, but the general gist of it is that uterus horror are coming of age stories focused on women, whether that be related to them going specifically through puberty. So there's a lot of periods and stuff. So it's not necessarily for the faint of heart for some people <laughs> that get uncomfortable mm-hmm. with that topic um, or coming into their sexuality as well. And the reason I chose the name uterus horror, uh, quite honestly, was because I wanted it to be off-putting for men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because historically, horror has been a genre that is looked upon as like a guy's genre. And these stories are very much targeted towards women. And I, I wanted to highlight that. Um, but I also, I always make a point of saying, you don't have to have been born with a uterus to experience uterus horror. Of uh, one of the films that I've written about was Sleepaway Camp. Um, so it's it's experiencing things that young women go through 
whether you were born a woman or not. I always put that out there because some people would, since I use uterus in the name, that's just to annoy men. It's not Mm -hmm. saying you have to have a uterus for that. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and I I do love that specific subgenre. I mean, the last episode we did uh, would fit snugly in there. We talked about raw and, and I even brought up in that recording that um, I even brought up ginger snaps uh, in that as well, that, um, you know, that there are, there, there's something about those certain movies that like that hit just so much harder when you are that person that has went through, you know, that young woman coming of age versus like, you know, cause those are movies that I very much like, but just don't hit me as strongly as they would as if I were a part of the uterus horror umbrella, you know? So, um, I do love looking into, um, you know, the very specific subgenres. Like that's why I want to get into more next, next season for the show is like getting into like even the more specific, um, horror subgenres. Like, like I love me like, you know, like trapped in a house babysitter horror. Like I want to get like, you know, like even more specific like that. But yeah, so definitely make sure um, you guys go check out Molly's column on, uh, you've written many articles on this subject by now, so um, there is plenty of reading material for you guys. But, um, and before we get into the main movie for the episode, um, I did want to give you an opportunity to um, kind of shout out a movie that is maybe non-holiday themed, but you still watch around this time of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many different horror films that I feel like fit with this time of year, especially because like, if, if even if it's not necessarily Christmassy, there are so many awesome just winter horror films. Um, like one, this one, it's always harder to find. But when I can find it, I always try to watch Pontypool every every year, mm. um, especially this time of year, because it's like I mean, even though it takes place in a radio studio the entire time, it's there's a blizzard outside and stuff. I, it's Canadian horror, which is always a great subgenre as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and geez, there are so many good ones. I, this still one, haven't, I, I still haven't seen I, that one yet. I need to. It's so good. And it's like I said, it's really hard to find. I wish it was more accessible. I wish, I wish a place like Shudder get, mm-hmm. get their hands on it. So Because I feel like that's one that if more horror fans saw it, they would be obsessed with it. It's, it's great. Um, and this one, it, it takes place during Christmas, but depending on who you talk to, it, it might not count as a Christmas horror movie, but I love Everly. I watch it every year. Um, Selma Hayek uh, directed, written and directed, I think, by Lynch is his last name and I'm blanking on his first name. I'm blaming the edible for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, um, what era was this? Because I don't know if I know this one. It was, I want to say between... 2007 and 2013 in that range okay I would say um it's I it's I'm, I think it's Joe Lynch the guy that did mayhem oh also. yeah then that's yeah. Joe Lynch yeah um he it's great and it kind of has the same formatting almost of of mayhem at least to me where it's almost like a video game where each level it's like a harder boss mm-hmm. that the main character has to defeat it's Selma Hayek is or Selma <laughs> That's not the name of the movie. <laughs> Everly is very much like that um, as well, where it's it's this woman who is in basically been kidnapped and put into the sex slave trade. Um, but she's she's like the boss's lady. So the big boss of the okay. of the crime syndicate, it's like exclusively hers. But he finds out that she's trying to leave. 
So shit goes down and it's, it's, it's all in her apartment. The entire film takes place in her apartment. Mm. And so it's constantly like more people that he is sending to her to try to destroy her. And it gets more and more difficult as it goes along. And it's, it's so good. Ooh, Highly I, recommend it. And it's, it takes place during Christmas. But like I said, some people like, are weird about whether or not things count as Christmas movies. I count it as a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, I mean, that I, I've been meaning to watch that movie. I love Joe Lynch's work. And that that like scratches like two of my subgenre itches. The like trapped in one location um, movie. But then also the like singular badass versus waves of mm-hmm. people subgenre. Um, we've gotten a few of those this year, particularly women with like a gunpowder milkshake and Kate and Jolt. Still haven't watched Jolt yet, but the others are all right. But, um, yeah, that one's been on my list for a minute. So I will, uh, definitely check that one out. I guess like, yeah, when when it comes to like, yeah, what counts as a Christmas movie? What doesn't like, like one, like one movie that I think a lot of people forget about is like, uh, Child's Play. Child's Play, Chucky is a Christmas gift, but nobody considers that a christmas movie yeah. um it uh, and which is interesting because it's like it and it takes place in chicago and you'd think they would use like the coldness more in the movie but they really don't so it's like is that movie a christmas movie uh, i mean I, I the way i guess i look at it the difference between like christmas movies and like winter set movies is like is there either a like christmas themes being explored or or does Christmas have an impact on the plot in some way? Mm-hmm. And I guess if the answer is no to either of those, then I would say it's not. But then again, I guess, like I said, Chucky was a Christmas present. So by that logic, okay, Child's Play is a Christmas movie. I'm back in that. <laughs> I'm back on that corner now. Um, yeah. So that that would be, um, you know, that's definitely one, especially if you haven't watched it in a minute um, and haven't watched the Chucky TV series, which is amazing. Um, everybody should go watch the TV series. And then, hey, we covered the Child's Play franchise a year ago, so you can listen to all those episodes as well. Um, and then one more, um, because I, I was kind of hoping somebody would have picked it for this month, but nobody did, and that's okay, um, is The Lodge that came out just a, a couple of years ago. Um, and I can't remember if it actually takes place on Christmas or around Christmas, but it's just winter and they're going to a cabin, you know, to go. No, it's, it's definitely Christmas. It is Christmas. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and and that would have fit in the fucked up families um, uh, month pretty snugly as well. You know, um, when you're just kind of dealing with this, this very it, you have the horror aspect of it where they're, you know, they think. Um, something bad happened and now, you know, shit's going on in the house. Um, but then there's also just like the, the social awkwardness of it, of this situation where it's a step, a a new stepmom with the guy's kids and the guy is gone. So it's just her and the kids and there's all this tension. And that's like the, the part that like really like gets me whenever I watch that movie. Um, I, I have a few other movies that I call like social horror cringe like social cringe horror um where it's like it's maybe not horror but it is if you have mad anxiety um <laughs> you know so yes. the the lodge definitely fits in there but then also the weather plays such a a big role mm-hmm. in the film as well um it's just very cold very claustrophobic and um some of the the worst kids in recent movie history ooh i just want to punch them both in the face <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's definitely 
It's funny. I, now that you say that, I love that movie and I didn't even think about it when, <laughs> when we were talking about p- potential movies, but that would have been a good one too. That uh, definitely is one of my worst nightmares for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, that would definitely be another one that is a fun one to check out around this month if you're not trying to watch something that is overtly Christmas. And even the film we're talking today isn't like super Christmassy, but we'll get into that right now. Anna and the Apocalypse, released in 2018, directed by John McPhail. Um, This was originally based off of a short uh, that was written by Ryan McHenry, um, and this was back in 2011, and there was interest to take the short and turn it into a feature around uh, 2013, uh, but then this got delayed, uh, the... um, the pre-production of it got delayed um, as McHenry was diagnosed with cancer. So they would kind of sit on the idea for a few years um, and then went to remission. But then he eventually did end up passing away uh, two years before the uh, film would be released. So um, he and he was going to direct it himself as well. Um, So then John McPhail came in and took over um, and did co-writing duties um, with, um, with Alan McDonald, but Ryan McHenry is also still credited as a screenwriter and story for this film. So that's really, um, great. And they did dedicate this film to him as well about the only behind the scenes that I have for this film. Um, and on the apocalypse follows a group of students. It is about to be winter break. It's Christmas in the air and, um, a zombie apocalypse breaks out and yeah, and then this movie is also a musical. Funny enough, the poster um, marketed it as Shaun of the Dead meets La La Land. Little bit of a stretch. Um, <laughs> a little bit of a stretch there, or depending on your feelings on La La Land, I suppose. Um, but yeah, this movie um, it came out a couple of years ago, and I was, you know, kind of just surprised that it didn't kind of take off a little bit more. Um, this movie did not do very well at the box office, but did have pretty uh, good response overall. Um, but yeah, it, you know, when I hear zombie Christmas musical, like, I don't know, that's, that's off a lot of, that's, that's like three green lights for me. So like, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought this movie would have been a little bit bigger and possibly this uh, will be one of those movies that happens like with a lot of musicals where the you know cult following comes much later. We shall see. But Molly, why'd you pick this film today? Um, I mean, obviously a big reason why I picked it is because of the time of year and it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> but I also, when, when I think about film, like horror films that focus on family, I, one of the reasons why I really like this one for that specific reason is because it does have it has unique family dynamics because I feel like with the exception of the main character, Anna and her father, most of the people in this, we either don't see their parents at all or the rest of their family, or they're only in it for half a second or briefly mentioned or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So I like that this focuses more on the idea of found family. It's Mm -hmm. the group of kids surviving together and having to rely on each other. And uh, I feel like, especially with how (laughs) what's a good way to put this without pissing people off um especially with the political climates I feel like found family is especially important now Mm -hmm. because there are family members that 
at least for me, I have no intention of seeing anytime soon because of certain political things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, my parents are cool and stuff, so it's not anyone I'm necessarily super close with anyways, but I feel like a lot of more people are drawing that line for themselves on and focusing on spending time with the people that make them mm-hmm. happy. And a, a lot of that, those people end up being your found family. And I love that whole idea. I love that people do that for Thanksgiving as well with like Friendsgiving instead mm-hmm. of more traditional. Um, and I love that aspect of this because they're all, they're all kind of misfits, but they're family. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, there, there really is a great dynamic um, between the core um, students and yeah, like there are so many different family dynamics going on, whether it be, you know, Anna's in a single parent uh, family. And then um, one of uh, uh, Chris is raised by his grandmother. And then um, one of the other kids, his dad is in the military. So, you know, he's probably like coming and going quite often. And and they and like you said, like they they take certain time on on different aspects of it all but at the end of it it is like really about this bond between the kids especially between Anna and John um I like that they have that relationship where it's like you know that's their best friends and of course like you know they're gonna go with like one of them has feelings for the other one but that's not something that they like spend like hardly any time on in this film like there's literally one scene between them where they like barely address it but then that's it I like that that wasn't like a a focal subplot of the movie like it's still like you can tell like no matter what no matter how John feels about Anna even if he knows that she doesn't feel the same like he's still just like very much cares for her as a friend and they have a really great like platonic friendship which I feel is rare to see on screen like like they it's not like they took the opportunity to have a side romance or like have them kiss in a in a life or death situation or anything like that they don't do that which I'm glad that they didn't um because it is at the end of the day just about like this um this friendship and this uh struggle between them and the things that they're dealing with and um what I was alluding to in the (laughs) cold open was like the the funny uh, like kind of way that this all starts at the beginning when they're driving to school and the, the news bulletin comes on the radio, like saying exactly what's happening. Like, and, and, and just in this little radio clip, it tells people that like, Oh, Hey, so like they had already known that there was something going on, but didn't know the severity of it. So, so people had already ignored what was getting told to them going on. And then, then they're like, oh, it actually is a lethal pathogen. And like before they like go on to explain the rest, Anna changes it to turn it back on Christmas music. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like that is like in, in my cynical brain, like the way I kind of look at, you know, some people's, um, you know, the, the way that they use this time of year to kind of ignore things or to kind of act a little bit nicer than they truly are, you know? Um, and so I kind of like that, you know, just how Anna does in this scene, imagining the whole town doing this, just like, Oh, we're going to ignore what the pharma's always doing some weird stuff. We'll ignore them. It's, it's Christmas time. We got to focus on Christmas, you know? So I, I find that interesting and, um, definitely connected with my, my Scrooge heart in a way. Yeah. It's, I also, it's funny because, 
this film has become so much more relevant since mm-hmm. COVID. Not only because of the like all the things that you just said with like the virus and stuff, but even like the scene when they they look up on the computer um, hashtag evac selfie or whatever it is, right. and it's the people like doing evacuation, taking a selfie and posting online. There's and a literal zombie apocalypse going on and your concern right now is taking a selfie and posting it online <laughs> yeah. and like all the different themes and what my what I think is the best song on this soundtrack is I don't know if this is actually what the song's called but the the one that sings about human voice yeah yeah it's called human um, voice yeah yeah that like that one I feel like it hits so close to home because it is even when you're with people it's most of the time you're on some kind of device. So you're on your laptop or a mm-hmm. tablet or your phone or something. So the human interaction has become so different now mm-hmm. than it was like even 10 years ago. Um, so it's interesting to have an entire song dedicated to that and how it's when it comes down to it, when the shit hits the fan, you're going to want to be able to be with those people then be with the people that you love and actually be able to communicate with them because it takes almost nothing for like the internet to go out mm-hmm. and power or and telephone lines to go down and stuff, you know? Uh, so I just, I just feel like it's especially relevant yeah. <laughs> the past couple years. Oh yeah. Like it, it's very interesting because like, it's, you know, it, it's something that, yeah, we were definitely kind of hitting that point in 2018, you know, where people are kind of getting a little more scared and like a little bit more cautious around social media and and then like now you know connecting with like what's been going on today is that it's interesting that yeah like at the end of the day you do still want that human connection you know like you know through all the the social media and internet stuff but then like then we're kind of put into a situation where it's like oh you want that but now we have to rely on like technology and stuff because you are being encouraged not to be with people like in person, you know, so um, an interesting, um, yeah, parallel, but then also uh, with a slight twist to it. But yeah, it's definitely one of those movies that hits a little bit different. And it's just like, wow, like, did they know? Did they know something was coming? That we didn't know? <laughs> um, I mean, with humanity, they probably knew something was going to happen eventually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because again, like why I just like I think of like when it came out and like how it just like kind of didn't catch on a little bit bigger. And when I look at it through um, comparing it, I guess, to um, other horror musicals, because I do get that it's a very niche genre, you know, Mm -hmm. but I feel like if it was, you know, um, I feel like it's for me as when I rewatch this, I think it's the soundtrack and the way that it uses the music. The music's not bad by any means. Um, there are some standout tracks in this, but there's not, there's maybe two of them that are like the ones that like, you could like hear people like singing at a karaoke night or something, or like, you know, because it's so catchy and like how many of these songs would you listen to outside of the movie? And I think that's where, um, at least for me, where it goes, like why this wouldn't catch on for like a bigger audience. Cause like, again, even though this is very niche, if you can catch the horror kids and the theater kids, and then like, you know, with a hit, then this still could have made lots of money, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's where, um, where it's interesting to me because I I, I like the music, but it's also like kind of interspersed a little oddly. Like, you know, most musicals open with a musical number versus this Mm -hmm. one, 
we kind of get like a good like minute, few minutes with like the characters, like introduce them and like introduce certain things. But then, so like, I feel like then when the first song doesn't come in until like 10 minutes into the song, into the movie, then it's like kind of throws you for a minute and you're like, oh yeah, this is a musical kind of forgot for a, for a minute, you know? And it kind of doesn't disperse the songs evenly through the film is. Um, so I think that's like my biggest thing with this movie upon rewatching it. Yeah, it definitely, it doesn't, it doesn't run like a stage play. I think it's the biggest Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. It's it, which to me isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like I, I adore this film. I, I definitely, I was also a musical theater nerd on top of being a horror nerd. So I like listen to the soundtrack a lot. Mm -hmm. I actually own it on vinyl. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, I, I honestly, I think part of the reason why it's not as big as it could have been is also, I don't know if it was the marketing or just the distribution because I don't remember I don't remember it being in theaters at least anywhere around where I was at the time um or at least if it was I don't remember seeing it advertised uh I only even heard about it and watched it was just front word of mouth people talking about it on Twitter and mm-hmm. then it was somewhere available in streaming so I watched it um but other than seeing other horror people talk about it I don't remember seeing any advertising for this at all yeah that is true I'm pretty sure yeah because I never saw like a trailer for it I don't think Mm -hmm. until like until I like sought it out um I remember the like week that it came out there was like a like or no it was like a week before it came out I did see like a couple posters like at the theaters I saw this back in Missouri too so I mean at least it wasn't in just the big markets but but yeah I didn't really see too much about it the only reason I knew about it was because I'm pretty sure I reviewed it that year when it came out Mm. um so I had known about it like a few weeks in advance, but, but yeah, it was like really only the word of mouth, like via horror Twitter, but like, and I remember I was like, I was trying to tell people, I was like, no, Hey, like, you want to see something different for how, or for Christmas, you know, some, uh, uh, with some different flavor here, go have some fun, you know? And, um, but yeah, it just, uh, kind of didn't, didn't really, uh, spread around, but this movie it's, it does so much though, like on top of, like aside from the musical part, maybe being one of the, I won't say weak aspects, because it's not weak, it's just not great, um, is it does so much other things great though, like as far as like, you know, um, having fun with these different takes on the zombies, on like how people respond to them. Um, and like, so it's like the with the mix of the comedy and then when it does really bring in the heartfelt stuff and the like, you know, between the second and third act, like when the emotional stuff really comes in, I was very much like surprised with like how, um, how tender this film gets amongst its absurdity, um, (laughs) throughout, because I mean, it's pretty like this, this is in tone close to, um, have you seen stage fright? The one that came out in like 2012? Um, no, I've seen like the original stage, fright, (laughs) Not that one. Yeah, there there was one. It came out in like 2012, 2013, and it's like uh, it like it's a musical. It takes place like at like a theater camp, and um, yeah, but it it's the the absurdity tone of it is very much very close to this one. This would it would make a good double feature with because um, I I did really um, I think it does balance the comedy really well with 
um, the zombie mayhem and, and emotional stuff. Like there's just a really, uh, well-written balance and, you know, and I don't think McPhail really came from a uh, theater background. Like he had mainly done films and some television work and uh, like a couple music videos. So he did have some music prowess to him, but, um, yeah, I don't think he really came from a theater background. Um, so it like always kind of begs the question, I'm like, would this be fine without the music? Or is that still, or do you feel the music is still pretty integral to it? Oh, that's a really good question. Because um, that's kind of what it's... I base a lot of musical movies on. Like, you know, like no matter what genre, like whatever, like when it just comes to musicals in general, I'm always like, would it like would it still work without music? Or, or would it be the same? Or like, would it be, you know, better or worse? Honestly, I just, when I think of this movie, I, I, think of the music so it's so hard to imagine it without I think it probably maybe could have been done without it but one of the things that I love about the music is that it it gives them an opportunity to be kind of cheeky um, so it adds a little bit more like how the um Nick who's like the popular bully kid the song that he does with his friends it's so it's so boy band it's so like Backstreet Boys in sync and it's, I feel like that kind of tells us a little bit more about his character in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And I mean, even like some of the songs are even kind of inner monologues, like mm-hmm. the Hollywood ending. Obviously, these people aren't actually telling everyone like, oh, man, I'm really jealous that like everyone is having this, but I'm not going to get it. Um, so to have that inner monologue, but it also kind of shows all of those characters connected that they're all longing for something that they know they're not going to get. Yeah, I I just don't think, I think it could work without the music, but I don't think it would have had the same impact that it does with the music. Yeah, and and I would say I agree. I'd say like my overall feeling with it is like, because even it, like I remember, I think I wrote it like whenever I wrote the review that like the the main character, the actress that plays Anna, doesn't exactly have the best singing voice definitely not the best amongst the rest of the cast but she does have like you know when she is performing the songs she does have like the charisma and the personality behind the performance where it still makes it very fun um like the the scene that and they i'm pretty sure they um like used a good chunk of this for the trailer was uh the scene where she's um going to school and has her headphones in like when the zombie outbreak happens and she's just ignoring everything because, you know, nothing comes in the way of a good walk and dance. Um, but they use that as the trailer. And, like, and I feel like if they would have even pushed that that clip a little bit more, that would, like, sell the movie, like, just, like, mm-hmm. perfectly. Of like, like, I loved all the, you know, people are dying and people are wrecking cars. And, like, everything's all the zombie mayhem, like, kind of like the opening of Shaun of the Dead. But then, like, and she's just dancing, singing away um it's it's really fun like and it shows you know the the film's ability to juggle these uh juggling these different tones and like I feel like if they would have even just pushed that clip a little bit more like because like that I've noticed that's like more of a thing now um even from a few years ago is like people just kind of like sometimes will just like uh put a scene out and like that Mm -hmm. be like the like a teaser it'll be like but like a full like minute and a half of like an actual scene like if they just yeah. would have did that with this with the with the music, um, I feel like that would have even caught people's eye a little bit more. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And it's so funny. <laughs> Whenever I think of that scene, and it actually kind of relates back to 
the idea of found family and how these kids realize they can't rely on their parents and stuff. One of the things that I love about that whole sequence when she's singing and doesn't realize the chaos going on behind her is the mom with the stroller who just like knocks the stroller over and gets out of there because there are zombies. And then half a second later, they show zombies eating from the stroller. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they they did not hold back at all for that. <laughs> they really did sneak it in there because I didn't notice that until this most recent rewatch. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, we're eating babies. Okay. Um, you know, like, but like for the complete, like, for the perfect juxtaposition of like, yeah, it's like so fun and carefree, but then yeah. that's, you know, what's happening. And it, yeah, it makes it funny when wa- obviously watching a baby get eaten should not be funny, <laughs> but it is in this context. Yeah. And, and I think it also, you know, where this kind of starts playing into, you know, these ideas of family and stuff that like that I, that I remember sticking out was, um uh, with Anna's character and like the way that they like kind of respond initially to like everything going on is like my what I initially thought was like you know like kids kids want to grow up like until they don't you know like until they realize like oh like what that actually means um and that they do know their parents because like yeah like everybody like kind of hits that age like especially when it's like you know your senior year and you're just ready to like get out, you know, like you're kind of checked out already and like you're and you think you know everything more than your parents. And then it's just like as soon as like they realize like they have to figure out the situation, they don't know where their parents are. And so they're like, you know, oh, now what are we going to do? And it's like kind of like, you know, a metaphor for that, like realization of like maybe that that first day of college, like when you get dropped off and then you're just like, oh, wait, like what what, what do I do now? You know, like. Cause they kind of have that moment. Cause at first it's like, Oh yeah, no, we'll find our parents and they'll know what to do and everything will be okay. And then they're just like kind of walking through the town and like seeing shit on fire and then like not knowing where their parents are. And they're like, Oh yeah, no, this is, this is completely different now. So it's like, um, you know, and that kind of comes to at the end, you know, um, you know, cause Anna's whole thing is she doesn't want to go to university. She wants to go travel for a little bit. And um, you know, her dad obviously is upset by us and like doesn't agree. But then it's like then when you get to the end, which um spoiler alert for the movie, um, you guys know how we do on this show. If you haven't seen the movie, why are you listening? Um, I mean you can listen, but it, we will spoil things. So that's your final warning if you are still listening, and you haven't seen this movie. But anyways, um so at the end, whenever Anna's dad dies again bit by a zombie and she realizes that like now she's on her own. And it's like, that's what you originally wanted. You know, you want to go uh, do the traveling thing, go be on your own, live, live your life solo for a year or whatever. And then like now that that choice has been made for her instead of her making that choice, you know, you see the fear in her eyes and that, you know, and like and like just like this uh, feeling of like questioning like, oh, wait, no, am I actually ready to be on my own? You know, and like. It's a, you know, drastic comparison, obviously, like between leaving your parents, you know, and like moving out on your own or whatever versus them dying. Completely different. But that's where I feel like um, uh, why the ending like really hits um, for me in this one. And it, and even that takes it back to the idea of found family is because the people that she's left with probably aren't the people that she would have chosen to be with during a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um but that doesn't stop them from 
realizing that they need each other because they don't have anyone else. So they're going to do everything they can to protect each other. Um, yeah. Which I love that too, especially because like, I, I love the character of Nick because they make him seem like such a douchebag the entire time. But then when it really comes down to it, he's at, he shows that he's actually generally a good person. He just, of course, because of, for some reason, young boys are told when they're in high school that they should be the popular assholes. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why that's a thing. Um, but you see that he's not really like that. And so now that he doesn't have the social, societal pressures around him, he can actually be the good person he is on the inside. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that yet. Because like at the end, we're left with Nick and Steph and like, and even though Steph was like, you know, in the friend group, you could tell by like the like interaction at the very beginning at the lunch table that it's like, yeah, she's their friend, but like not like they're like super close friend, maybe, you mm-hmm. know, um, and but then you see that, you know, sh- what she's willing to do for everybody as well, like having each other, having everybody's back throughout the movie, because I mean, besides Nick, she probably enjoys zombie killing the most. Um, of anybody (laughs) in this movie uh she gets like real excited about it and like goes into it like real quick as soon as like stuff pops off but um but yeah and they and they do such a good job with um nick's character as well of like you know like setting them up and then you know then they drop the bomb on you and you instantly and and even before that like in the context of it it's like you know he joined up with their group because like he's like you know like I'm I'm ready to like kill zombies and shit like I do want to protect them but like he does it under the guise of because he's too cool and because they they can't handle themselves and like he does it under that guise but then like once you realize like you know what he's actually going through you're like no he just doesn't want to be alone and he does want to help protect them you know so they mm-hmm. do they do a very good job with him uh throughout the film really great yeah. character and it's I don't know I don't know if it's the gummy that's making me realize this or if I've just never really paid attention to the cast credits. I never realized that the the last names for the characters are like a reference to like the birth of Christ and stuff because it's Anna Shepard. Mm-hmm. Steph's last name is North. So I assume like North Star. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris's last name is Wise, like one of the wise men. Um it's weird. It doesn't, for some reason, at least my list doesn't show what Nick or Lisa or John's last names are, which is weird. Um, but then, of course, like, and then the bad guy, which interesting last name choice for the bad guy, but the bad guy's last name is Savage. Yeah. So, like, yeah. they really set it up for you. They want to make sure you know right from the get go <laughs> what everyone's role is. Oh, yeah. Like, I never, I never noticed the, the last name thing, uh, which is interesting. But, like, what caught me on this one was like, they had like the stage for their like talent show, like set up like it like looks like how every stage looks when uh, a church does a, a birth of Christ like play or whatever or, or yeah. a school does it looks like that's what every set with the and then the big old star in the middle. But it's like, no, they just did that for the talent show. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, them definitely sneaking in the Christmassy elements, which, yeah, this is more Christmassy than I than I um thought it would be, even though they don't. They don't like play into it a ton, except for like it. Do, it's just great for zombie killing. Like Christmas accessories are just really yeah. great for killing zombies. I mean, there is that, but um, but yeah, with some of the themes, um, it's it's a Christmas movie without being too Christmassy. Yeah, it's really they do it more for the sake of 
costuming and decoration and sets I feel like mm-hmm. than they do for the actual content of the film aside from like there's a scene where they're talking about the gift drive or whatever and then there's when when they get to the school um uh he's the vice principal then the vice principal is saying he's having his Christmas dinner mm-hmm. uh, so there are little things like that but for the most part it's what they're talking about focuses more way into the future Mm -hmm. Um, like when she's talking about leaving and when she graduates and stuff Uh, so it's interesting to see it be a very Christmassy movie without Christmas necessarily being a major plot point yeah and I think they you know and and they used it in a way that I think it like kind of taps into um, when you're in high school you know um, you know the the senioritis where especially when you get to this point in the school year, it's like, okay, now I literally have one more semester. Like, I just want to be done. Like, I don't care about anything else. Like, yeah. And like, they're all just like kind of phoning stuff in. Like Steph has laid on the report that she was supposed to have in already. And, um, you know, they're still last minute trying to put together the stuff for the talent show because like, you know, like when you're at that point, like you are kind of just like phoning it in, even to the point where you're just like kind of ignoring Christmas as well. Yeah. Like you're just uh, like, Oh yeah, like it's Christmas, but whatever. But since it is Christmas, I gotta like be in the mood. So it's like, you know, John like, you know, wears his like goofy sweaters. <laughs> and like, you know, there there is things there, but yeah, like the the this the characters don't care for Christmas in the movie, no matter how Christmassy it is. Yeah. Especially poor Steph. I always feel so bad for her that she gets moved to a new country and then her parents automatically go back to a different country for Christmas and leave her behind. Right. It's so messed up. Yeah. And like, again, like another dynamic of like, you know, like she has both parents gone, but like by their choice, like not even like by mm-hmm. circumstance, you know? Um, so yeah, everybody's kind of feeling um, some sort of blues in, in some sort of way throughout the movie. Um, but Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about some of the um, set pieces in the movie because we get some goodies. Um, we need more um, horror scenes set in bowling alleys. Kind of want to put a whole movie in a bowling alley now because there's so much possibilities for yes. for mayhem. Um, I really like the use. I really like the use of the locations in general throughout this movie. Um, you know the we, we kind of get a good glimpse of the town, the way that they like kind of move across it, you know, whether it's Anna and John walking to school or it's them trying to get back, um, going from the bowling alley to the school. Like you get like a good sense of like the, you know, cause this is a small town where obviously they can get around on foot. Um, but I really like the use of locations in general, but, um, the, the zombies in the bowling alley was, was a, a, a fun one. Yeah, I, the bowling alley, I feel like that is such a great place for opportunity because obviously they were able to use that space in so many different ways. Um, And honestly, the only movie that I can think of off the top of my head that takes place in a bowling alley is Sorority Babes at the Slime Ball Bowlerama. It's the only one I can think of. Um, And maybe I'm like, I can almost picture another one, but it's, it's one of those things where it's in the back of my mind. So it's not something that immediately comes forward. So there's so much opportunity there. So if someone's listening to this that is planning on making a horror film soon, you should totally have it be in a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, I love that set piece. And honestly, it's, I mean, all of the sets are great and they, I fit, I feel like they fit really well with what's happening in each moment. 
But man, that Christmas tree lot that they go to that's indoors is the creepiest shit. (laughs) I've never been to an indoor Christmas tree place. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, But maybe that's because I primarily have lived in the Pacific Northwest where there are a lot of trees everywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So easy access. Um, But I mean, first of all, there are a bunch of idiots for thinking it was a good idea to walk through there. So dumb. <laughs> just get that yeah, that, I did have that written down. I was like, okay, how much time are you really going to save cutting through the store and going around like what, maybe five to seven minutes? Um, yeah, off, and I would rather, because they were saying it was going to be dark soon. I would rather have walked around in the dark than go through this creepy, also dark building filled with Christmas trees where there could be zombies under and around and there's there's no way that was going to end well for them (laughs) yeah and I mean that's where it really changes for Nick too because like he's all cocky that like even if they do run into some trouble like they're fine like they're calling it the fun way and but then his like boys get killed and then that's when like things kind of really become real for him Mm -hmm. for the rest of the movie um but yeah it's like it was like a like like creepy like cave maze of trees (laughs) Like, no, no, no. Um, but yeah, like they, they were, they, they should have known they were going to get ambushed for that one. Yeah. That's, I mean, that is just, I'm trying to think of what one possible reason to go through there. Even the one they give, it's not. And it's, it was so creepy too. Like, even if there weren't zombies, if, even if I didn't know there were zombies, I would not want to walk through there. (laughs) Even if it was just a normal Christmas like getting ready day where I was going to go get a tree. I would not want to go in there because mm. it's, there's at least going to be a serial killer in there at the very least. At the very least, even yeah. Zombie apocalypse or not. Yeah. Um, or and- I mean, they also had that creepy light up. I, they called her a gnome, but I thought it was supposed to be like Mrs. Claus or something, but the creepy light up thing um, that could come to life and kill me. I don't know, but it's that whole, that was my favorite set piece just because it's, it allowed them to stick with the Christmas theme while also making it very terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And then and then it leads into, you know, the one of the surprises in the movie was, you know, I remember watching it for the first time. I didn't think John was going to get killed so early. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, we're at like the 50 minute point, but like I still like I kind of expected I was like, OK, he'll probably die because he's like important, you know, and for stakes and shit like he's probably going to die. But I didn't think it was going to be at this point. Um, yeah. I thought it was going to be like, you know, I thought he was going to be like included in like the big climax. But so, yeah, that that really that really got me because John's a good boy. Um, You know, we don't get many just perfectly sweet, good boys <laughs> in movies. There's always a catch usually, you know, and not with John. Um, I love him, love his sweaters, love um all of his all of his corny lines. Um like whenever um they're trying to get Anna's attention, they're saying something and he's like and he goes, he's like, Oh, sorry guys, she's in Egypt because she's so far in denial. Yeah. And I was like, Oh <laughs> it's like it's so good. Um I love them. I mean, he's basically already a 55-year-old man based on his sweaters and his dad jokes. And his dance moves, too. Yes. <laughs> he does a he does I, a wicked air guitar solo. I actually, and I love that they, they killed him that way and that early. Because it also was just one of those things where like, oh, if you just hadn't stretched your arms out that far, you would have been fine. And it's, because even though it's not a huge plot point, one of my least favorite tropes in film is the 
the best friend who's in love with their friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know why that trope just rubs me the wrong way. So the fact that they have it and they acknowledge it, but it's not a major plot point, And then they don't have him be the hero. True. That, yes. I, I actually, cause they were, it really seemed like they initially were setting him up to be the hero. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would have having him be the hero would have taken away from Anna's journey. Um, oh yeah. Big time. Cause like I, Nick kind of has the opportunity to be the hero, but he, we already knew from the beginning that he was that kind of person where he was going to be kind of reckless. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though he's doing these things to be helpful, he's also doing it because he's reckless, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which isn't John. That's obviously not his personality. So I feel like it would have been a little bit ingenuine to his personality and the character we got to know if he had made it like, to the school with them or, and like made it and if it had been him instead of the dad in that scene or something like that you know I feel like it would have taken away taken away from Anna but also made his character seem less realistic in a way yeah and and it and it did definitely like subvert your expectation like yeah you are expecting um because the whole movie they're like given John shit that he's like he's shy and he's scared and like all these things so like yeah you think he's gonna like have this like big moment um where you know he like makes an act and like yeah he does sacrifice himself for Anna but it's not um in this like big ceremonious like way that you'd expect um and yeah like and it makes Anna's journey like yeah just that much more impactful especially mm-hmm. like you know she does the whole climax like she's alone you know like uh Chris and Liz also die at some point um Steph is like um you know just like running around trying to protect herself and then you know, Anna is left to do this climax by herself, but yeah. And then, so we get to the climax and, um, we got to talk about the villain real quick. Um, vice principal Savage, um, yes, on the point on the nose name. Um, but he's, he's fun. Um, I do like, I'm not a big zombie movie person in general. And, but I do like the trope in certain of those movies where one person like, goes crazy and then thinks they're gonna be able to like control the zombies (laughs) and like they're gonna be like some king of the apocalypse or something i don't know why that trope amuses me um but i think it's funny um they did it they did it really well in um the show uh daybreak on netflix um underrated show nobody watched that show but anyways um but yeah, so I, i i like him um i i remember when he gets his villain song that nothing's gonna stop me now um i remember up to that point like the movie like i said like the the soundtrack and the songs like aren't very well dispersed because there was a point for like a good like 25 minutes or so like we didn't get a song Mm -hmm. and then you like kind of forget about it for a minute but then um the song that we do get after that break is nothing gonna stop me now and i feel like it was a nice uh, shot of energy to like power us through um the third act and um you know and he had you know, been just like kind of like, you know, a sniveling, annoying uh, guy like throughout the movie. And then like he just like kind of takes this turn that like, oh, like, you know, he, he was already an asshole, but it's like, OK, we're just going to make him like full on evil now. Um, I thought his performance was really fun. Yeah, you can tell because he's another person where he doesn't necessarily have the strongest voice. But damn, if he doesn't give that performance his mm-hmm. all, like he gets so into it and he really just goes nuts with the character and his dance moves are amazing and he has his hair sticking up everywhere. It's just, I, 
I love him. And it's, it's so funny because the only thing I had ever seen that actor in before this was he was on Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone is curious, he plays Thoros of Myr, I think is how you say it. Um, and it's he looks so different in this. If It was one of those things where I when I saw it the first time, I recognized his face. But if I hadn't looked it up on IMDb, I never in a million years would have known that it was the same person. Um, And he just, I feel, he seems like the kind of person that it's honestly, it's kind of like what you're saying where it's one of the characters in zombie films that I love. I, there's always just, whether it's someone who is going to control them or if it's the kind of person who is willing to sacrifice everyone around them to save themselves. Mm-hmm. Those characters, I love them because I feel like I, I'm a very cynical, pessimistic person. I feel like that's more realistic to what humanity is actually like. <laughs> so <laughs> to have that kind of character like him where he's just like, screw all of you. Like, I'm just going to wreak havoc now. I don't even care anymore. That just feels more realistic to me than the people who are... Um, very oh what's the word I'm looking for altruistic mm-hmm. like I th- like that seems more realistic to me than the people who are like we're gonna we're gonna survive and help each other and lift each other up I I don't I don't believe that <laughs> I don't think that's true uh, so his and his I just that ca- character that song I feel like it whether you can sing or not if you just really get into the character and the performance it's gonna be good mm-hmm. like. I feel like this is almost the movie equivalent of like the uh, musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Apparently that was one of the inspirations. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and it's like that where it's, I, there obviously, there are some people on that show that were great singers and some that were really not awesome, but it's, I, it almost makes them, to me, at least it makes them a little bit more endearing. Even if the songs aren't necessarily as good, it makes me connect with the characters a little bit better in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's generally the sense when it comes to like musicals in general, it's like either you're going to be that person that just has that voice that blows you away, or you're going to be that person that is like, has the charisma that like blows you away, (laughs) you know? So like you can always make for it one way or the other. And I would say, um so to like kind of give our closing thoughts we got to end on what the best songs of the movie are and um i mean i think hands down for me it is soldier at war um (laughs) it it slaps the hardest it's funky it's catchy um like his 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 performance the actor's performance i mean when he hits that i know the best form of defense is attack i was like yes get it guy i was like I'm get into in. that boy band falsetto I'm in it i love it and then um i i love it and i love whenever um he's um gonna distract some zombies for anna so that way he can she can find her dad like he just like goes to start singing it by himself <laughs> as he's cornered by these zombies and uh, that made me laugh for some reason um but yeah i think that's one of the best ones um nothing's gonna stop me now is one of the more entertaining ones um and gotta got shout out the fish rap yeah. <laughs> even though it's only <laughs> 45 seconds it's one of the best things i love that they used it up for the end credits as well um what were what were some of uh, your favorite songs i i think the technically the best song is probably human voice um the most fun song is definitely soldier at war i love that one so much but honestly i think i'm not even gonna remember what the 
name of the song is, but the one that Lisa sings at the talent show. Yeah, the the, se- the, the sexy Santa song. Yes, I that one cracks me up because it just gets so much worse and <laughs> yeah. worse and dirtier as she goes. And just to see everyone's reactions, especially because there are some people there that are probably also in the early stages of becoming a zombie. So everyone looks kind of ill mm-hmm. while they're watching it. And there's just Chris's grandma like cheering her on. <laughs> I love that scene and I love the song and she's she's another person where like obviously she's being more sexy but I like that she gets really into the performance too Mm -hmm. um and also just the fact that she was able to hide that from the vice principal that that's what she was singing up until the performance right kudos to her for that right I remember like I was like oh okay this isn't too bad and then like yeah the as the song goes on it just gets dirtier and I was like oh god I was like yeah it's a very fun scene (laughs) kills me every time especially when she gets to the unload your sack i'm just (laughs) every time i (laughs) i i die every time i'm sure sure my husband is so sick of watching this with me because i sing to every single song and that one is no different i mean that's the fun of musicals when you watch it is is singing along like i don't think like see that's how i feel about anyone that watches sweeney todd with me I'm like, you're about to, you're in for either a really good time or a really bad time. Because <laughs> I will sing this entire thing. Um, but yeah, um, I, I enjoyed this movie again upon rewatch. Um, I dropped my score down a smidge, but I do enjoy this movie quite a bit. And it is just a fun one that like, yeah, am I going to watch this a lot? No. But will I watch it um, in every December? Sure. Um, this isn't exactly like the Christmas Eve watch, but this is like the the watch of um, when you're decorating cookies with your friends. That's that's yeah. this movie for the holiday season. It's the one that you use to break up when you're watching the really intense and like more serious Christmas horror ones. Like you watch P2, then you watch Anna and the Apocalypse, and then you watch the Advent Calendar or something. <laughs> Just to break it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely one to, um, yeah, that's just pretty strictly fun, even though it does, like, kind of get, pre- like, I mean, it has a pretty dour ending overall, like, when you think about it. Um, but it is still, yeah, more more fun um, mm-hmm. than a lot of other um, contemporary Christmas ones. Um, but um, to close out the show, um, you know, I talked about how, you know, horror musicals are a pretty niche subgenre and like one I don't think we get enough of. So if you had to put a subgenre on your Christmas list of uh, subgenres you want to see pop up more in movies, uh, what would you want to see more of? Well, I'm not going to pick the obvious choice and say uterus horror because <laughs> that would be too obvious for me to say that one. Um, something that I think I would like to see more of because they're really only a handful it's, I don't even know if it necessarily counts as its own subgenre because it's so similar to found footage, but I like the, like the computer screen ones, like unfriended. Um, I think searching is, is the mm-hmm. one where the guy's trying to find his daughter. Um, and we're all going to the world's fair. I, I feel like those ones are becoming more popular, but it's, it's much slower progression than like found footage was either you loved it or you hate it, but it became really big, really fast. And the, 
the computer screen horror is taking a little bit longer, but I feel like they, there's a lot of really cool opportunity and like being able to see stuff that's going on, but also on the screen, see them like looking stuff up and it's a, it's a clever way to, for them to be able to add context to things that are going on and add other little details. So I, I think that's a, a subgenre that I like to see more of for sure. Yeah, like, you know, and hopefully we see more of them, like, with the intentions of doing that rather than them, like, kind of coming out of necessity, uh, you know, yeah. especially with some of the ones that came out, like, while people are under quarantine and stuff. Um, but, like, you know, Searching was one of those ones I was, like, made before that, like, with the mm-hmm. intention of using that or um, or Spree from last year is a, a new favorite mm-hmm. of mine um, that utilizes, like, the, the YouTube and Instagram uh, live, yeah. like, streaming um, so yeah, I, I'm into more technological based um, found footage movies. I, it, it's in a corner of found footage, I would say. Yeah, it's uh, it's at least a cousin at the very least, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. And it's but it's I I definitely think that it's one that I don't want to say people don't like it as much because if I say that, then people won't make them. But I feel like you said where I it's kind of I think a lot of people assume that it's one that people are doing just because it's easier or it's more convenient Mm -hmm. or something like that and I I don't know what goes into making a film like that I kind of feel like it probably is a lot more difficult than people think it is especially like with Unfriended they ended up doing that entire film in one take yeah and they they filmed it all in the same house too they just had them set up in different rooms um yeah so definitely not an easy task by any means but it just comes off that way um, for me, and this is really like inspired by like one movie that like I've rewatched a few times this past year that I really enjoy. Um, I want to see more heist horror hybrids. Ooh. Um, I, I love heist movies. That's like another big thing for me. And, um, like I, I came up with an idea for one that I was like, Ooh, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and do one for myself. But, um, um, I've really, I've really grown to enjoy the collector um it's a very fun like the way that they use the whole premise and and like just like the like Arkin and the collector are like such good adversaries because it like it makes sense like who who would make a good match for like a sadistic killer you know like um you know someone that has skills to match up you know that are somewhat similar to them so it's like you have this you know thief and he's like not like a high-end jewel thief or anything but he is like you know very skilled at what he does do and he uses those skills like throughout the movie to like you know go do this back and forth with the collector and I really love their dynamic so that's what I want to see more of is somehow incorporate more like why aren't like I know that there's like a a movie like there's a James Franco movie about some people like trying to rob a a haunted vault or or they're like trying to get into a vault in a haunted house or something like why don't we have more haunted bank movies yeah (laughs) I mean you would think there probably have been plenty of banks out there where people have died unfortunately so that you think that there would be a good opportunity for that yeah I'm trying to think. I mean, we got Panic Room, but that was like yeah. 2003. Like that was a while ago. So like, I'd like yeah. to see. I mean, more even The Collector was quite a while ago now, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, one came out in like 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I love that movie so much. Um, the only other one that I can think of, I don't know if this would really count because it's it's more of a, 
a kidnapping one, but kind of along the same lines is, uh, I think it's called The House on Willow Street, where it's these people like kidnap someone with the intention of using them for ransom, but uh, that doesn't go quite how they planned. Ooh. <laughs> um, it's it's a fun one, um, but it's I, that's the closest thing that I can think of that would yeah. be similar to that. And there's a lot of opportunity for different types of heist horror, I feel exactly. like. You could have it be ghosts. You could have it be like another person like in the collector it could be werewolves it could be whatever or like yeah like escaping a building or like you know like or something like yeah there's plenty i mean we got don't breathe don't breathe you know is somewhat in that oh yeah um a little bit but yeah so i i think we could definitely use some more of those but um but yeah and i think that'll go ahead and do it for for this episode thank you so much molly for coming on i appreciate having you on yes. finally getting to thank you for having me i'm sorry of course now my dogs are in here freaking out they wanted to say bye too they they, they sensed it they're like like uh, it's close enough she's almost done <laughs> yeah pretty much they always know they know yeah. they're used to zoom by now <laughs> exactly yeah um where can uh, the people find you and uh, what are you up to um well i um oh, wow <laughs> I can, I, I promise I can talk. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I've, so for social media, you can find me on Twitter at blogging Banshee and on Instagram at blogging dot Banshee. Um, I have my monthly uterus horror column at certified forgotten. Um, I am taking a little bit of a break this month just because I have another big project that I'm working on, but there will still be something posted. I'm pretty sure by the end of the month. So you can keep an eye out for that. Uh, and I do have some big projects coming up within 2022, but if you're following me on social media, more of that will be revealed. Yeah. And I will have links to the socials in the show notes, of course. Um, but yeah, what else do we have coming? Well, I kind of told you at the beginning of the show, but, um, one more time that we will, this is the last like normal episode of the year. And then next week, we will have two episodes, um, one where we do our top six ranking of the best horror movies of 2021, um, which is always really fun to do since we don't talk a ton of recent movies um, here on the podcast. So I'm very excited for that. Um, My boy, Jake Krieger, will be coming back on to do that and give out um, the Bloody Awards, where it's our personal awards for... Um, best performances and score and direction and all that good stuff of our favorite horror movies of the year but uh yeah that'll go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the blade blunt cinema club new episodes drop every tuesday so make sure you're subscribed so you do not miss an episode follow us on social media at bloody blunts pod on twitter and instagram and follow me on twitter and instagram at underscore daddy disco and until next time guys stay lifted <laughs>